Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. and welcome to our kingdom this is under consultation an episode by episode guide through the uk's greatest video game challenge tv show games master i am one of your hosts luke owen still trying to get used to my large possession and i am your other guide on this journey through the early evening slot ash (coughs) versus (laughs) best bit was no hands Uh, So this is episode 5 of Games Master Series 1. It took place on the 4th of February 1992. Our number one movie at the box office is the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic, Double Impact. Jean-Claude Van Damme. He always makes an impact. Now, get ready. Or Double Impact. There's two of them. Think about it. Van Damme. Times two. He looks exactly like you. Me? Twin brothers. Reunited on a mission. Watch my pack. To avenge their parents' death. One packs a punch. One packs a piece. Look good to me. Together, they deliver. Double impact. Yeah, okay. I'll say it's a classic because just before we went on air and I was talking about budget versus box office, budget 15 to 18 million dollars, box office domestic 80 million. Pretty impressive. It's not necessarily actually a really good movie. Oh, no, no, no. When I mean classic, I just mean it is sort of a classic Van Damme movie in that I don't think many of them are any good, but it is one of like the more celebrated Van Damme efforts. It's also really getting value for money because you're not getting just one, but you're getting two Jean-Claude Van Dammes. Oh, man, what makes any movie better? It's another Jean-Claude Van Damme. With rat tail. Oh, complete with rat tail. I had to Google before we came out on air. I wasn't sure if this was the one where he punches the snake. That's a hard target. See, I was going to mention this later. I was going to ask you what your favourite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie is. I mean, the obvious answer is Street Fighter. No, but really, what's your favourite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie? I mean, honestly, I think it is Street Fighter. It's a wonderful comedy movie. It knows it's, it knows it's bad. 
see, I was going to go with what you just mentioned. Hard target. Hard target. Because let's look at the checklist. It's got Jean-Claude. Mm-hmm. It's got Lance Henriksen. True. It's got Wilford Brimley doing a Cajun accent. <laughs> and snake punching. Snake punching. And yeah, and um, horse riding. Wilford riding. <laughs> that, that poor f***ing horse had to be shot at the end of those scenes. What's the one he did with... Because um, I always get Double Impact as well. A, whenever I kept seeing Double Impact, I kept reading Deep Impact and thinking, God, I wasn't sure it was released that early in my lifetime. But no, that's because I was thinking of a different film. But I also get Double Impact mixed up with the film he did with uh, Dennis Rodman, which was Double Team, which also, actually, in fairness, is a very good Van Damme movie. I like how you've now changed the qualification for being a very good movie to being a very good Van Damme movie. A very, well, absolutely. Well, On the diff- Van Damme scale. It's a ve- it's a very sliding scale as well in terms of quality. It's a scale that literally does the splits at every available opportunity. And once again, at number one of the box office, it's Goodnight Girl by Wet Wet Wet. Yeah. 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 I've got nothing else to add about this song. Now, I was going to say, spoilers, on the movie, we're getting a couple of weeks of uh, Double Impact. So hence, we're going to pace ourselves and not talk all about it this week. Otherwise, we end up in a wet, wet, wet situation, which is where we're like, it's a song. It is a song. It is still number one. But at least it is a song I now remember. (laughs) Since our last recording, I have listened to Now That's What I Call Music, Volume 21, more times than is healthy. Because for every wet, 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 there is also a madness or Shakespeare system. I got a text message from you uh, the morning after that record of you screenshotting, downloading Now 21 and being like, well, there's my commute sorted. It wasn't even the morning. I said that on the way back (laughs) after we'd finished recording. You just didn't see it until the morning. Thank you very much and welcome to Games Master, the show which has made the 6.30 slot its own and is responsible for more sprained wrists than the lovely Julia Roberts. Everything you've always wanted to know about video games, but we're a wee bit too tight-fisted to buy a magazine about. Uh, So we're at the halfway point of Games Master Series 1, and this episode feels like the halfway point. This is the hump day. It does feel like a hump day. It's better than episode 6, but I think this episode starts off strong and then really peters out by the end because our last challenge is a big load of balls. It's oh, it's it's huge balls. But this first challenge, which we'll get to in a second, is probably one of the best of the season. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a blinder, and it makes you proud to be a gamer. Really, really is. But before we get there, uh, Dominic Dime wants to tell us that this show is responsible for more sprained wrists than Julia Roberts. Like, I think at times, sometimes his dick jokes are like, oh, it's a little bit innuendo. That is just an overt wank joke. That's not even trying to hide. See, I thought they were just referring to the popularity of some of her movies at the time. And those plastic clamshell VHS cases, they could be quite tricky, particularly the big, thick rental style ones. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, you're trying to get it apart because you want to jam it in and, you know, get on with it. Absolutely. And just, oh, no, oh, there goes, there goes your wrist. wrist. Now so, I can't press fast forward or rewind. Or pause. <laughs> but I think the big issue here is you just got a dirty mind. Is that what? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, I think he uh, yeah. was making an observation about health and safety and risk assessment of VHS containers. No, you've gone for the lower road. And quite frankly, I'm disappointed. This show has made me a worse person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into our first challenge. Uh, Games Master, what have we got in store? think you have sufficient nows to master one of my little bruises? Well, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? To start with, 
I'd like you to try your hand at duck tails. You have two and a half minutes to guide Scrooge MacDuck to the Himalayas. You will need to rescue the helpless Baba from his icy tomb, and then retrace your webbed steps to escape from the cavern with the help of Launchpad. Two and a half minutes to guide Scrooge MacDuck to the Himalayas. Let's hope you are. Kick the bill. What a fantastic challenge to kick this off. An incredible game. DuckTales for the NES. Guide Scrooge McDuck through the Himalayas in two and a half minutes. You've also got to get Bubba and Launchpad. What a game. What a fun challenge. It's an amazing challenge. The game looks good. The game is good. And also, unlike a lot of tie-ins, this game really embraces every aspect of the source material. It would have been very easy just to do a reskin of Mario or platform or whatever. It would have been fine to do just that. But no, they're working in mechanics of the show. Okay, I don't remember Scrooge McDuck bouncing on a pogo stick a lot of the time, <laughs> but hey, we can brush over that. But the characters are there. Launchpad is there. Bubba, I'd forgotten about the existence of the little cave dude. I know, right? Which, I mean, most people have a trophy wife. Scrooge McDuck has a trophy cave duck. Yes. Ah, oh, it's just such a fun game, and it's got so much replayability to it as well. Well, you know, I think we've talked about this in a previous episode, but they, they released the Disney Afternoon collection for the PS4 that had DuckTales, DuckTales 2, Darkwing Duck, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and every single one of those games is absolutely brilliant. But it's for me, it is between Darkwing Duck and DuckTales, which is the best of that sort of Disney Afternoon era. This game is just... It's, it's There's a reason why it's so beloved. It's great. It's great, but I just want to go back to the introduction to this challenge briefly. Mm -hmm. Can you say the name of the game, please? Uh, DuckTales. A woohoo. <laughs> I love the Games Master in this because he very firmly pronounces it as two separate words. It's DuckTales. <laughs> DuckTales. <laughs> There's very few things greater in life than Patrick Moore trying to pronounce things that he literally has no clue what he's talking about. We talked about this in one of the previous episodes when it was in the consultation zone. I was like, I got a real kick out of Patrick Moore talking about Duckburg. <laughs> <laughs> Where is Duckburg? <laughs> On the Mississippi. Um, Donut Diamond calls DuckTales a fluffy game, but there's lots of dangerous chilly bits. And to take on this, it's Scott Andrew from Manchester. I will say, Scott walks down that aisle like a don. He's confident <laughs> going into this. He's got his Puma trackies on. There's no blurring of any logos. He's there. He's ready to go. And he knows he's good. He's a cute kid as well, because he's so monosyllabic with his answers, with his thick mank accent. He's like, Welcome again, Master Scott. Thanks. Well, so have you been practicing very hard at the game? Very hard. And you're very confident about the challenge? Very confident. Well, I'm very pleased to see you all, because I think it's a very tough challenge, to tell you the truth. It gets quite tricky in some points. Yeah. Do you think you're ready for the challenge? Yeah. Do you think it's going to be tricky? Yeah, it is. Are you, are you confident? No. Well, off you go then. Go play the game. Well, that was an in-depth interview. <laughs> so yeah. Because he's even like that after the challenge. But before we get to that, Jazzman is back in the commentary booth. I failed to mention this in a previous episode when Jazzman made his return. But I, I cannot help it. But every time he appears on screen or appears in one of these episodes or I have to read about his names, I get Lisa Simpson singing Jazzman stuck in my head for a good few hours. See, I get a filk mashup of Scatman. <laughs> I'm the Jazzman. Up, up, down, down. Instead, I've got uh, Lisa Sims again. When the Jazzman test. And it works because he's a writer. And every time I'm reading one of his reviews, I was like, Jazzman is testifying. 
we say he's a writer, but Dominic Diamond, the knives are out tonight because he's like... Here, as always with me, is Jazz Rignell. He never seems to do anything else apart from perch with me up here. Jazz is up here with me. Don't know what else he does. Seems to be a bit of a layabout. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jazzman says the game isn't too difficult, but the challenge is. And what are your thoughts on, do you think DuckTales is a challenging game? I think it seemed it at the time. Hmm. I mean, this kid makes it look easy. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. But he really does. Uh, but I remember getting stuck on a lot of bits of it. And that's why when we were talking about it in the previous episode on one of the consultation zones where there was the... Uh, the, the extra life loop. The extra life loop. I'm like, that's a genuinely useful bit of info for this game that I found really difficult. Maybe it's because I was playing it on the Game Boy. It was a port. Mm. It was the same game, but yeah, yeah. different platforms... Different versions, different difficulty levels, tiny screen also, oh, much yeah. narrower playing field. But you'd never believe this game is difficult to look at this kid play it. Oh, absolutely. Scott Andrew, uh, I love the way he ducks away from the ram as it's bouncing over towards him. Like, Dominic Diamond's questioning why he's doing it. But for me, I was like, that's the cutest tactic in the world because he's just waiting for that ram to pass as opposed to jumping up and attacking him. A lovely little bit of cute plainness. Tactics. Tactics, He's yeah. genuinely showing some tactical sense. And knowing tactical sense, he messes up one of his jumps, but is wise enough to know that if he goes back and then goes forward again, he refreshes the screen and he can try it again. I reckon there were so many people that would have hit that point and just spent the rest of their time <laughs> trying to jump over it until they stumbled backwards and fell down again yep. or got lost or some... And if they got the block to respawn, it would have been by accident rather than by design. But this guy's like, I botched that off the screen, back on the screen, bosh, yeah, done. Absolutely brilliant. He knows the right route, gets the invincibility so we can run through the ice spikes. Um, I love the fact that Dominic Diamond... I mean, he keeps claiming in all these interviews that he's done post the show that he was a gamer, but he often comes across at times like he has no idea about video games. Case in point here, misses the fact that he's got an invincibility and just, just thinks he's amazing at the game. He's like, he's just running through those spikes. I'll be honest, first time I watched this, I didn't pick up immediately that he'd got invincibility. But also, while I believe Dominic Diamond was a gamer, but I wonder what type of gamer. Mm. He strikes me that he might have been a bit more of an Amiga or an Atari gamer. He might have been a bit more into... The snooker game we get later. Well, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. That He's got a lot of time for that. <laughs> and uh, But no, but he might have been into different types of games. Not everyone's a platform gamer. That's fair enough. That's you a know. fair point, yeah. Uh, our child rescues Bubba and he's got one minute left and he just immediately runs over, gets the launch pad, challenges over. He had loads of time to spare. Well 38 seconds on the clock well done that kid that was our first singular winner since episode two it was and you know i wasn't sure if this was a multi-take thing or it was a one-take wonder it doesn't matter it was so smooth he clearly knew the level he was going in for he'd been practicing he speed ran this mofo he <laughs> didn't spend time dicking around with collectibles he left most of the treasure chests unchecked because you know what they didn't matter nope he has got to get Bubba, he has got to get Launchpad, he's got to get out of there. He was ahead of the game in the whole speedrun community. He oh. was one of the originators. Oh, well done. You made pretty short work of that challenge there. Yeah. Were you, were you nervous at all? Yeah, my legs are like jelly. <laughs> it certainly didn't look like it. I mean, I've never seen anybody get through that game so quickly. Well, the thing is, you know what that means, Scott? You have won what most people want more than anything in the world. One of our extremely special golden Games Master joysticks. Thanks. And then during his interview, he says, my legs are like jelly. When he took the golden joystick, his hands were shaking. <laughs> and the thing is, I think 
Dominic Diamond was a bit of an arsehole in, at the start of this episode. He insulted uh, Julian Rignall. He also accused the audience of being tight-fisted by basically <laughs> going, we're here and you're watching us because you can't be asked to buy a magazine. You're too tight-fisted. <laughs> but this little kid who went in, he got the cave duck, he got out, he completed the challenge so smoothly, I think it melted a little bit of his icy Scottish heart because he spared him any dick jokes until he was off the stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, let him, he let him get out of earshot before going... So while Scott gets the grips with his large possession... He's off for a wank. Yeah, pretty much. He needs to get used to that large possession. I did love, however, when Scott was handed the, uh, the joystick, he goes, thanks. It was just, <laughs> says thanks to the monk. <laughs> the politest child we've had on this show thus far. He was lovely. Yeah. If, if somehow, Scott, if you're out there and you somehow, or you know who Scott is... Drop us a line. Oh, please get in touch. Maybe this is a thing we should do. Like, we're getting, you know, spoilers. We're finding our feet. We're getting our groove on. Let's start tracking down some former competitors. Absolutely. That would be great. Find out where are they now? Are they still gamers? Just find out what their tactics were going in and how many retakes they got. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah. That would be a good one to find out. Let's let's do a Mythbusters on Games Master. <laughs> It was the one episode they didn't dare do, but we are brave enough to open up that. I'll be Adam Savage. You can be Jamie Heineman. We'll get you a beret. It'll be great. <laughs> it won't. Uh, <laughs> Our three games this week are linked by the word fun. First up on the Mega Drive, structure surreal stuff with the console world's answer to Bill and Ted, the extremely laid back Toe Jam and Earl. Great, a uh, bit of humour, fantastic graphics, great sounds, well, especially uh, appealing to a 12-year-old kid. Tokyo Manila is a very good game graphically and very good musically as well, but it had very limited appeal and I feel you could get quite bored of it quite quickly. Good fun for a while, I'd say. Um, slickly put together, but not a lot of game in there. But before we can get to that, let's head off into the review section, which this week has got the theme of funk. I find this theme questionable <laughs> for a number of reasons. I mean, first game, definitely. Yeah, well, it's a funky old game. It is a funky old game. Toe Jam and Earl for the Mega Drive. Oh, absolutely. One of my favourite Mega Drive games. I absolutely love, 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 love Toe Jam and Earl. I will play that game for hours I played it for hours then, I will play it for hours now. I absolutely adore it. It's great in two-player. I don't care that it's slow, and it is slow. I love it. And this review made me livid. I love this review, possibly for the exact same reason that it made you livid. Because first of all, we have Magazine Pundit come up. The guy that this is his job, this is his profession, and he's like, it looks great, it sounds great. It plays great. 12-year-olds are going to love this. Followed immediately by a 12-year-old who's like, this game sucks. <laughs> yeah, he does. I was going to say, Alistair McKinley, you over in here, who was just some kid, thinks that you could get bored of it quite quickly. <laughs> off, Alistair. This game's great. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what did we say about punching down? I don't care. Although, admittedly, yes. He is wrong. In this case, that kid is wrong. He may be wrong, but this is a trend that continues over the next couple of episodes at least, and that I like, is we're not just taking these paid journalists' word for it. Anyone can be a paid journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that was a vainly, vainly dig at me there. No, God no! <laughs> Anyone can be a journalist. 
The Daily Mail is full of people that are claiming to be journalists. But to be a 12-year-old, that's hard. That's hard work. That's difficult. But also, it does mean that there is someone on the screen at least potentially talking to the target audience. Yes. My issue with this is, for the most part, I do not believe 12-year-olds were the target audience of Toe, Jam & Earl. I mean, I was... No, I was... I don't know, how old was I? 1991? So I'm like, I'm actually six years old at this point. I was thinking the other way, because at the beginning of the review, Dominic Diamond says that they are the equivalent of Bill and Ted. And I look at these characters, and I look at their adventures, and I look at the weird humour, and I'm like, they're not Bill and Ted, they're Cheech and Chong. (laughs) Yeah. This is a student game designed for someone before the era of Teletubbies. Yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. It, it's a really fun game in that it's it looks at the Earth from an alien's perspective, which is why it looks so weird and wacky and all the yeah, characters yeah, yeah. Are, are bizarre. And I really like that aspect of it. But you're probably right, because it does feel a bit like, whoa, man, what if? But I think 12-year-olds, not the target audience. Slightly lower, yes, because to them, no offence to young you, bright colours, oh, yeah. sounds... Yep. That's going to be a bigger influence as the actual gameplay itself. Love it. The music's great. Stoners, lights, sound, (laughs) graphics, as big an influence as the gameplay itself. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, Mark Smith from Club Nintendo is the first journalist that you referenced then. And Paul Larkin from GameZen is our second games journalist who says that it's good fun for a while and then says there's not a lot of game in there. Not a lot of game in there, Paul. Not a lot. There's loads of fucking game in there, Paul. If you try a bit. Paul Larkin from Game Zone. It's put me in a bad mood because I love this game. I'm genuinely unnerved being sat opposite by you right now. It's like I can see the vein coming out in the head. Well, okay, so that gets 70%. The reason it pissed me off even more is because then Top Banana for the Amiga gets 65 Next up, save the world with pure love in Top Banana. The game itself has got great music and the graphics are absolutely superb, but um, that doesn't actually make the game. The playability isn't there. The thing Top Banana is very environmental. It makes it for a different game, but all in all, it's just another platform with beat em up in the middle. Seems all before, really. This game's toss! Look at it! This game? Why is this game featuring a protagonist that looks like Tim Burton's Willy Wonka. What are these graphics? What is this game? What the chuff is going on? I watched 10 minutes of a long play video of this on YouTube and it was even worse than I thought. Every round starts off with the catchphrase sound effect, weirdly, and then it is just that awful, ugly background. That's the noise from catchphrase. What did I say? No, the noise at the beginning, yeah. it's a boom. That, that's it, yeah, so I mean, it's the catchphrase sound effects are boom. Yeah, yeah. Every round starts off with that. It's so bizarre. And it is just an ugly, ugly game. And for some reason, Mark Smith says it's got great music. Has it? The graphics are superb. Are they? I have no idea what they were talking about with this one. I know what happened. He had an edible before reviewing <laughs> Toe Jam and Earl, and it didn't kick in until he got onto Top Banana. Maybe. And then he was just like, whoa, game graphics amazing. My shoes are talking. (laughs) 
Um, so I took this from the uh, the Wikipedia article for Top Banana. Apparently, this is interesting. It's an environmentally themed platform game. The game was released using recycled cardboard packaging and is regarded as an early example of environmentally aware computer gaming. This feels like it was written by the people who made the game, though. Uh, the game's... Uh, While crying. <laughs> The game's graphics and sound are left uncompressed, allowing the player to edit them, something that the README included alongside the game encourages. It may be a dross game, but I appreciate those early attempts in encouraging a modding community and environmentally sound packaging. That's the one bit of this game I did like. And actually, I did turn a corner on it when I started to read more about it, although it still looks like a, a terrible game. Uh, the Atari ST version of Top Banana is featured in Stuart Ashen's, also known by his online presence as Ashen's, 2017 book, Attack of the Flickering Skeletons, more terrible old games you've probably never heard of, particularly criticizing Top Banana's graphics, calling them an utterly indecipherable garbled mess, and that, quote, the only reason you can actually pick out the enemies from the rest of the screen is because they move. Each area gets progressively uglier and more muddled. It's a fair comment. Yep. And Ashens knows his bad game. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, kid from the audience thinks that it's just another platformer with a beat-em-up in the middle. And Paul says, we've seen it all before, really. I mean, I've not really seen a platformer with a beat-em-up in the middle. Not properly done. That didn't really, for me, come around until, like, Guacamelee. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've never seen a game that looks as ugly as this. So, I've, again... Not sure what Paul's talking about there. And finally, Bart the Brat arrives on the Game Boy as you eat shorts and have cows with Bart Simpson's Escape from Camp Deadly. Wonderful game, both graphically and musically, with great speech and animation. Nothing particularly outstanding or new, but good fun and... If you like The Simpsons, you won't be disappointed in the game. And our last game is Bart Simpson's Escape from Camp Deadly for the Game Boy, 89%. This game. Uh, <laughs> what really grinds my gears? Toe Jam and Earl, funky. Fine. Mm -hmm. Top Banana, dross, but with the attempt at the music, I can see where the funk is coming. The Simpsons. It's Bart Simpson, man. Bart Simpson is not funk. Well, no, he's not funk, but he's funky. No, he's not. He's 1991 funky. Remember, he was like he was the lead character. He was cool. He was I Carumba. He was but don't have a not cow, man. Funky. I'm not, you know. Otto is funky. Oh, I think Otto's the stoner. I think. Yeah, but that means he is <laughs> also kind of well, funky. Maybe you're right. Yeah. I hated this game oh. with a passion. This game, I had it for the Game Boy. It haunted me. It still does. I do not understand. I get the same way about this review as you got about Toe Jam and Earl, but the other way, I'm like, this should be 45% and pissed on. Yeah. On screen. I am. Um, I remember playing this game when I was a kid uh, on a friend's Game Boy and actually struggling. I was watching a playthrough of it and you sort of, you jump over a river, you jump over a river and then there's a much bigger river and you just try and jump and you just keep falling in that river because I didn't realize you got to climb that tree. There's no indication to climb that tree. You've just got to know to climb that tree. And I, that stuck with me. And then when I watched the playthrough, I was like, yeah, I remember not liking this game at all. I had similar issues. The difficulty curve was less of a curve and more of a cliff. There was very little to delineate between background and foreground objects. This was somewhat to do with the limitations of the Game Boy. But you know what? Other games work their way around it. Nintendo worked their way around it. Konami worked their way around it with the Ninja Turtles licenses. Simpsons developers, you could have done this. The bit that really made me utter expletives on a crowded train when I was watching this through for the first time was when they said, and I quote, if you like the Simpsons, you'll like this. You know what? No, because that's like saying, if you like watching You've Been Framed, 
You'll love being repeatedly hit in the balls by a toddler with a Nerf bat. Just because you enjoy watching one doesn't mean you wish to experience the other. Completely agree. And it's amazing, actually, because the game didn't get great reviews from anywhere else. I would rather be hitting the balls by a toddler with a Nerf bat than play this game again. <laughs> Um, it's loosely based on the episode Camp Krusty, and it's got that sprites from like Bart versus the Space Mutant. Basically, every Simpsons game had the exact same sprites from from this period. Yeah, it was reviewed very poorly at the time. Uh, Nintendo Power, on the other hand, uh, gave it three point four out of five. That feels like a sympathy <laughs> rating. It's like we can't give it below three. It's a licensed product. The Simpsons are cool. It's also a lovely sort of window into nineteen ninety one. A, it's a Simpsons game where Bart is the lead character because. Bart was the lead character of The Simpsons for a long, long while. Like, I remember getting stickers for The Simpsons where it was, it's all about Bart and, to a lesser degree, his family around him. Like, the episodes weren't, but all the marketing was pushing you more towards Bart is your lead character. And it shows in the review, there's a sign in the background when he's in the cafeteria that says, Tofu Burgers, as a way to make you think, ah, it's a bad place because they're selling tofu burgers. I'm a vegetarian and I bloody love me a tofu burger. So I'm like, this place sounds great. Ah, but be fair, would you have liked a 1991 tofu <laughs> burger before we learnt things like seasoning? I was going to say, it depends on what kind of spice you're putting on there. Yeah, a yeah. A bit of paprika on there, I'm, I'm on board. I bet you this is actually just a slice of tofu that they've griddled. <laughs> See, tofu burger, take a nice slice of firm, not silken, but firm mm. tofu, a little bit of light batter on it, fry that bitch. Oh yeah. That's a good burger. But the game's crap. <laughs> the game is awful. Eat a, eat a tofu burger, ignore the game. Now for our preview section. They zapped you with Xenon, gifted you with gods, and enchanted you with magic pockets. The Betmark brothers are now back with the Chaos Engine. Renegade's Graham Boxall gives us a sneak preview. The Chaos Engine is the latest Bitmap Brothers production. It takes place back in the Victorian era. And your job will be to take six characters into a um, Victorian house to destroy the Chaos Engine. Your main character is, is controlled by the joystick. And then you've got two other characters who um, have got their own attributes. And although they mimic your movements, they'll follow you around. They've actually got, actually got special identities. The game's strongest features is the fact that it creates a new gaming environment, taking the best actions of best elements of arcade games and combining them with role-playing games to create something that some nobody has ever done before. And we've got our preview. It's for Chaos Engine. It's the new Bitmap Brothers game. So Renegade's Graham Boxall is here to tell us all about it. Oh, you look like you're an excited man. Oh, man. Chaos Engine was one of those great games that I never got to play at the time, but every time I saw it... It just made my eyes wide because it was, it looks gorgeous. Yeah. It looks so good and the gameplay looks so different. Tactical, squad based, role playing game elements, big graphics, great sound. Steampunk, before steampunk just became sticking cogs on everything. Yeah, totally. It, it was proper Victorian Jules Verne. HG Wells, it was it was brilliant. Yeah, it looks it was sort, really, really good. It was the sort of stuff that Robert Rankin has done properly in literature with some of his steampunk stuff. But this game was and remains really good. When you see previews like this, it's you're reminded how good the Bitmap Brothers were. And like and just you're like, this game looks great. It's, it's gonna be released for the uh, Atari and the Amiga and the IBM for $25.99. It got a release on the Mega Drive and the SNES in '93. Mega magazine would later call it the 15th greatest Mega Drive game of all time. It really pushed the system, if I remember correctly. It was it was a big old game to squeeze on there because it was no slouch on the Amiga. No. 
Yeah, no, you, they show the uh, the Atari version in this preview, but the Amiga version looks gorgeous. Looks really good. And the music's so much nicer as well. Interestingly, at time of recording, as we're talking about the Bitmap Brothers, it's worth mentioning that their entire back catalogue has recently been picked up by Rebellion. Interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping we'll get a couple of new titles. Also, let's just get some straight up ports. Mm. Tell you what, some of these games would be great on an iPad, they'd be great on a phone, they'd be great just upscaled, released on Steam. Some of them already have been, but let's keep the ball rolling, guys, because the Bitmap Brothers were groundbreaking and... I would really like a Steam version of Magic Pockets so I can finally play it, please. Speaking of keeping the ball rolling... Hey! GamesMaster have a competition for the best goal on Kickoff 2. And we'll wrap up this week's review section with a reminder about our GamesMaster Golden Goal competition on Kickoff 2. All you need to do is to save on disc moments when you sent the crowd wild with a Gaza free kick or a Mark Hughes volley. At the end of the series, we'll choose the best goal and the winner will receive two tickets to the Rumbleus Cup final. For more details about the competition and for any other information about the programme, you can call the GamesMaster Club. We'll give you the number at the end of the show. Okay. But it's now time for our celebrity challenge, so let's head on over to Games Master and find out what he's got in store. Nice to see you again. I do hope you enjoyed that last little jaunt. What an extremely able young man he was. Time for some sports now, I think. Let's retire to the billiard room for some Green Bay's action on Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker. You have 90 seconds each on this most realistic of snooker simulations to amass the highest possible score. Only the colours will be on the table. They'll start over the pockets, but will be returned to their spots once they've been potted. Be the best man win. There's an odd line here where Gamesmaster says, I want to return to sports. And I've written here in all caps, it is always bloody sports. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, every celeb challenge we've had up until now has been sports-based. Well, maybe he's just talking about the challenges in general, because let's be honest, there's no way you're going to look at duck tails and call <laughs> it a sport, sport game no. Yeah. no i was very much just categorizing all of this or does feel very sports heavy but really the celeb challenges have all been very sports based but that makes sense because one of the guys that was behind the show had a contact within sports that's what he used to do so his rolodex is essentially here are sports people that i know that i can get to come in for an hour and we'll get them cheap. Yeah, I mean, look, let's go to the Rolodex, da 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 a a a w a wooga John Fashnu. There we go. <laughs> um, Can't so we... wait to get to K in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be playing Jimmy White's Whirlwind Snooker. You got ninety seconds to amass the best possible score. Only colours are on the table. This is a proper snooker simulator. It is. It was groundbreaking at the time because it was proper 3D simulation. It looked great. It had brilliant physics. And while licensed games weren't necessarily the best developed, I get the feeling that a lot of love and care was put into this game. Mm. In fact, we know how much love and care was put into this game because we meet one of the people behind it. I love this as a challenge, actually, because they've got the national champion, Christian Price, to play the game against... Archer McLean, one of the developers of the game. That's a spicy little challenge. It is a spicy little challenge. And also, 1992 eSports. Yeah, it is. It didn't start with Fortnite. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but Jimmy White is here to provide colour commentary. Oh, Jimmy White and his hair. Oh. Oh, my God. That hair never left 1987. It's beautiful. <laughs> Jimmy's looking great. He's looking great. His hair is bouffant. He's got that kind of camel sports jacket going on 
he's he's ready for it. He's, he's off to string fellows when this is said and done. Absolutely. At one point was ranked the second best snooker player in the world. At this point in time, he's ranked fourth in the world. So this actually feels like a pretty big get for the show. Like he feels like a legit celebrity. I mean, if we look at some of the previous celebrities, you know, when we had um, when we had Eric Bristow on his kind of like time, he was all the sun was already setting yeah. on his initial run. When we had Gary Mason on, he even made the comments of, well, my record's not been quite so good. And yeah. of course, he'd had various um, health issues as well. But this Jimmy White, yeah, number four in the world. This is a big get. And, and he carries himself well. He doesn't feel embarrassed or bemused to be there. He's just like... It's another day at the office, lads. Absolutely. And the game was highly well regarded as well. PC Gaming UK ranked it as the 37th best computer game of all time. And it was a departure from when a lot of snooker games were just top-down simulations. Most of the snooker games I remember playing right up until, I guess, around this point and even beyond were top-down, a bit more arcadey, and the most amount of control you had was moving where the pointer was on the ball to yeah. like side, top, backspin, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I was never great at snooker. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I could push those balls all around the table all night. When I was in my first proper job at sort of 15, 16, working at Sainsbury's, we used to have a pool table in the smoking room. We weren't, we weren't smokers, but we went in there so we could play pool on our lunch breaks and eat our Mackey D's. So I, I played a lot of pool in my late teen years. Also, I'm just getting an insight into history of there was a smoking room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like you've got to go out to the loading dock and there's a, there's a, there's a bus shelter that we've <laughs> assembled out there. This is setting itself up to be a really fun challenge. And Dominic plays this one straight. Yeah, he does not want to embarrass himself in front of Jimmy White. He's got a lot of respect going on here and he plays this challenge straight. And you know what? It works for it. Yeah, it really does. I always remember Jimmy from Big Break. That's my memories of Jimmy White, particularly around this sort of era as well. If anyone wants to do a Big Break retrospective <laughs> podcast... <laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> so Christian is up first. He pots the black, pots the pink. Uh, Jimmy is very happy that he chalked the cue. And he chalks the cue on every single shot. Do you know my least favorite bit of this <laughs> challenge? Is that sound? This sound. <coughs> yes, that sound. Because you know what? It sounds nothing like chalking a cue. It, it sounds a like annoying sound. It sounds like someone like frotting against a weather balloon. Yeah. Like, like if you've ever seen a, a, a dog humping a soft toy replace the soft toy with a balloon and that's what it is it's a pug going at a balloon animal yeah it is not a fun sound to to listen to over and over again because make no mistake about it he does it after every single shot i don't know if you're supposed to but he thinks he has to and he's national champion so we should go by his word I suppose it depends on the physics of the game. I mean, in the real world, there are some situations where you want the cue to be heavily chalked. There are some situations where you might not. Depending on how the game accounts for chalk, maybe it's a case of, well, it's just better to do it than to not. Or they were very proud of that sound effect and wanted you to do it all the time. All that. <laughs> I like to think that they maybe got the brief for the game, which is, okay, no dirty language. Make sure not to, you know, pick your nose on camera. And chalk the cue after every shot. We had engineers working on that sound effect for months. Make it work. Uh, Christian has this shot where he uh, he misses a pink, but brilliantly, it bounces behind him. And you just hear... 
and it just pops into the corner, and they were like, "Hey, that was a nice little lucky shot for you." In a normal in a normal game of snooker, that would have been a great trick shot. In a timed special like this, it's luck plus unnecessary flamboyance. Yeah, he is wasting time. He's only got 20 seconds left. He pots one final pink to score 31, which I thought, that's a pretty good score. It's better than I'd probably do. Oh yeah, 100%. And if you'd like to find out if the game's designer Archie McLean can bet a Christian score of 31, please return to us after the break. With my hair, what's really important is deep conditioning to give it that extra shine. Now, Cream Silk have a shampoo and protective conditioner in one. It contains Panthenol Pro-Vitamin B5, which penetrates the hair and works from the inside. Good afternoon. This is the news. New Cream Silk 2-in-1 gives you the strength to shine. Nothing prepares you for the amazing new Super Nintendo Entertainment System. You won't believe the power. You won't believe the control. You won't believe the jumps, the curves, or the feeling you get until you experience it for yourself. <sighs> Whoa! That's fast! F-Zero for the ultimate G-Force only in the next generation from Nintendo. Now you're playing with superpower. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. from half the powder Trust Finish Ultra Ultra Clean Ultra Finish Finish Ultra Welcome back to our special Green Bay's Games Master we're featuring Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker challenge and the great man himself is with me in the commentary box. National computer snooker champion Christian Price has just scored a break of 31 and now the game designer Archer McLean is about to see if he can top it. So as we come back from the ad break, Archer McLean is up next and boy howdy is he quicker at this game than Christian is. It's almost like he's been with the game for its entire development <laughs> yeah, cycle. Yeah. But 
Also, dear Lord, does he go into this with a tactic? This is a challenge. He's been practicing a lot. He's been working it. He spawn camps that pink ball. It's just yeah. like bang, 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 hammering the pink. Oh, yeah. He knows how to manipulate that. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Diamondism. He, uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he manipulates the game to his advantage. Because he knows how to. It's his game. This is like the scene in The Matrix where suddenly he learns how to bend reality. <laughs> I mean, he equals Christian's score with 30 seconds left to go. And then essentially he could take his time. But no, he still plays very quickly to pot that pink and wins. Had 20 seconds to go. He could have racked up another 30-odd points. It, it was a great challenge, though, because I'll be honest, as soon as they said he was against the developer, I'm like... I know which way this is going to go. Unless the developer throws it, mm -hmm. which he's not going to. No. There's no way this kid is walking away with it. I didn't like to be right on that one, but so it goes. I also want to give a shout out to the size of the mouse they were using as well, which was, I mean, it was the size of a small car. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. It was a big old, I mean, I'm guessing, was it Amiga or Atari? I'm not sure, to be honest. But it, just, it was ginormous. In fairness, I do appreciate a nice, sizable mouse because too many mice nowadays, too small. Yeah. We're both Mac users mm -hmm. at various times. I hate the current a Apple mouse. It's too low. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? I bought myself a gaming mouse recently on um, Black Friday sale just because I needed a cabled mouse for my desk at home. And it sits in the palm of my hand comfortably. And I'm like, I'd forgotten what this was like. <laughs> this is nice. I can zoom around and my hand doesn't cramp. Now, bad luck, Christian. 31 points. A very good score. Not quite enough. How do you think you could have scored better? A bit quicker. That's too slow. Archer, you wasted no time with those balls at all. What was the secret of your success? Well, I was lucky on that first thing, but it helps writing the game as well. So. Right, okay. And now I turn to our expert, Jimmy. Jimmy, a quick summing up of the game. The boy Christian did well, but not quite enough. No, he did very well, but um, Archie being a bit more experienced, he played the same ball in the middle three times, which gave him a lot of points. But, no, it was, it was close. Uh, Christian, in his post-game interview, says that he was just too slow. He fully... He, I'd imagine, if you're Christian and you've just watched him play that game, as soon as he started, you were like, well, well, I'm definitely not winning this then. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not even getting a look in at this one. And... I may be UK champion, but for this, I'm a champion. Yeah, I'm never going to beat the person who made the game. And Archer says himself, I mean, it helps that I wrote the game. Like, he just said, of course I'm going to win. I wrote the game. Maybe what he actually did was he's like, one day someone's going to challenge me on this game. And if I just leave a code in here that I'll tell no one about, like magnet balls or something <laughs> like that. And then it just means all the shots always go in. Well, speaking of that... The segment doesn't end there because Archer has set up a trick shot for Jimmy White to do. And now, before Jimmy pops off, we've got a special treat for you at home. We got the game designer, Archer McLean, to line us up a special trick shot that would test even Jimmy. So, Jimmy, if you'd like to sit yourself in the hot seat and we'll see how you fare. Now, talk us through this shot we've set up for you. Right, um, where the arrow is pointing at this red here over the pocket, right. I'm going to try it with the cue ball being based here. I'm going to try and pot the red over the pocket, which is like, looks, it, well, it is impossible actually, but I'm going to play a free ball plant. All right. I'll just take this over to there. Okay, yeah. well, good luck, Jimmy. Okay, are we ready? Yep. Right. Should cannon it and knock the red in. And I get the feeling that this is just a button that says trick shot 
that Jimmy just clicks and it does the trick shot for him. He does a nice setup explaining what the shot's going to be, how it's going to be lined up. Dominic Diamond is over his shoulder, wrapped with attention. And Jimmy's like, right, here we go then. Click, pot, done. Yeah. Confused applause from the audience. Yeah, I was going to say, because it's not that impressive that he pressed a button, particularly when that button is highlighted, trick shots. It just feels like this is not as great as we all thought it would be. But Dominic Diamond loved it. I think it's one of those seemed like a good idea at the time. And I imagine when they were editing afterwards, it's like, we can cut this out. And Diamond barges into the editing suite going, no, leave it. He is a legend. We will give him the respect he deserves. He's the fourth best player in the country. Cut something out of the DuckTales challenge. No one will notice if it runs a few seconds short. I mean, Christ, we can certainly cut the next challenge, but we'll get to that <laughs> moment. Oh, <laughs> DuckTales may be a contender for the best challenge of the series. This Oof, next one yeah. may be the worst. Right, but before we get to that, um, John McDiamond is going to go pot a few pinks with Jimmy as hey. we head into the <laughs> consultation zone. He couldn't help himself. <laughs> he couldn't help himself. He had to get at least one in before the end of the segment. I guess he has a quota to maintain. It was definitely after Jimmy had left, though. So <laughs> we'll do a take after he goes. Is he gone? Is he gone? And green room doors closed. Go and sing a couple of pinks. Good night. Hello, Games Master. Welcome to my kingdom. I'm really glad to see you. In Spider-Man, I can always reach the forklift boss, but he keeps ramming me. What am I doing wrong? Foolish boy. You really should have realized by now that you can't stop this particular road if he's facing you. So you need to leap behind him and let him have it with your web. About ten times in total. That'll do it. Oh, great. Thanks. Bye. So our first kid in the consultation zone cannot beat the first boss on Spider-Man for the Mega Drive. Now, it's a tricky one, this, because I was playing Spider-Man for the Mega Drive quite recently. We were trying to do a gimmick on one of the channels that I'm a part of where you would review a movie while playing a retro game that's sort of based around that movie. So I was reviewing Spider-Man Far From Home while playing Spider-Man for the Mega Drive. We reviewed um, Avengers uh, Endgame while playing Captain America and the Avengers for the Mega Drive. I like my Mega Drive games. And I was They playing... also had a lot more of those kind of tie-ins over its lifespan than, yeah. say, the Super Nintendo. And I was playing Spider-Man, and I actually got stuck on this boss. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here, but he's very, very tricky. Very simple, though. You just got to jump over him and shoot at him from the other side. My notes very simply summed up the problem. You're facing a charging boss, therefore you jump over them and hit them from the other side. Sonic does that. Mario does that. It seems common sense. Apologies, I feel like I was punching down at you on that one. No, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> welcome to do so, because when I worked out that's what you do, I was like, oh, I'm a bloody idiot. I did, as a 33-year-old, it took me that long to work out. When I was a kid, that was fine. Didn't need that help when I was a kid, because I, could, I definitely remember getting up to the Sandman boss later in that game, which is nails. But I could not, I, I, yeah, for the life of me, when I was playing it earlier this year, I was like, I cannot remember how to beat this mini-boss. Maybe you were just thrown off by the fact that as much as I try, I cannot remember Forklifto being part of Spider-Man's rogues gallery. Well, yeah, it should be noted he is not the end-level boss. He is just a mini-boss in that level because Doc Ock is the, the, the main boss of that level. Is he actually a boss or is he someone just trying to do his damn job? <laughs> and Spider-Man gets in the way and he's like, look, i got pallets of beans. I've got to get the beans to the lorry so they can go to the Sainsbury's. And Spider-Man's like, thrip, thrip, thrip. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I made the hand gestures of the web slinging with an audio medium. It's good to get it in there, though. 
And the web slinging. Hey! <laughs> Diamondisms. Hello, Games Master. Hello, and nice to see you. Now, what can I do for you? On level three of turtles, I cannot jump over the gap without dying. How do I do it? You should have experimented a little, young fellow. The answer really is most simple. Walk straight over the gap and don't jump it at all. Things are not always what they seem. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Well, our second kid is stuck on the third level of Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. I've again written TMNT in my notes. Retroactively, it's all TMNT. <laughs> yeah, it really is. That's the second time that Hero Turtles has come up in the five episodes that we've done, which shows how tricky a game it was. This game was tough as assholes, and particularly this bit, because the problem as described, I still do not 100% know whether it's a glitch or the programmers just being gits. I think it's them being gits, honestly, because it's so dumb. Essentially, if you've watched the Angry Video Game Nerds review of this, you will know exactly what this moment is. There is a moment where you are across two bridges and there is a tiny gap. And if you try and jump that tiny gap, you fall down the hole and have to do it all over again. However, if you just walk over the gap, then you're fine and you get across. We can just walk over it? You can just walk over it. You are scum. The reason I think it might be a glitch is because it's the walk animation glitches as you go over it. So it doesn't feel like it was deliberate. It feels like he's about to go into a drop animation, but then continues walking over it. Yeah, and that really maybe it was meant to be jumped over, but due to shifting of the way the screen was designed, suddenly the head clearance yeah. was not there for That's that it. jump to take place. It's because as soon as you jump, you hit the ceiling and just fall straight down, which is why you can't jump over this tiny gap. It's a very, very, it, whether it's designed or glitch, it's a very, very frustrating moment. And if I go back and play that game, as I'm probably going to, as time goes on, you know what I'm going to do when I encounter that little gap? I'm going to try and jump over it because it doesn't matter how many times I've seen people talk about this or seen this episode of Games Master or the Angry Video Game Nerd or so many, many people that have covered this game. My instinct is still to try and jump over the gap. Absolutely. I do like, however, that the Games Master does recommend that the boy should experiment a little. Yeah. Something I'm sure he carried with him into his further education student days. Sure and that boy grew up to be Apex Twin. <laughs> Hello, Games Master. My son gave me Shadow of the Beast 2 for Christmas, and I'm finding it very difficult to get anywhere. Can you give me any tips or suggestions? If my memory serves me correctly, there are no shortcuts. But you can make life a lot easier by beefing your warriors up. Now listen. At the start of the game, walk to the right of the screen towards the piggy. Once she starts pestering you, call up the question mode and type in 10 pints warrior will then be invincible all you have to do is to find your way around thanks very much well you'll find it works and our last stuck gamer is uh on shadow of the beast which was reviewed very poorly a few episodes ago yeah i think this guy who is an older gentleman in a rather fetching red jumper oh yes i think his son hates him because all all was just really really stuck stuck for present ideas and wanted something from the bargain bin because yeah this game's awful yeah i like to go more of the 
the I'm gonna err on the side of niceness and just be like he wanted his dad to have a game for his Amiga so he went to the bargain bin and got this game here it's called Shadow of the Beast wow what a cool title let's get in it does that. have some good artwork on the front it does as well. have some oh, cool artwork and now this guy's gonna go on to national television to ask a CGI Patrick Moore how do I do anything on this game because it's a load of balls <laughs> I do love the answer though because there aren't any easy hints to give but if during the game you type in the cheat code 10 pints you'll become invincible and i don't know about you but after 10 pints i feel pretty invincible oh absolutely all it unconscious it's a testament to how bad this game is because this guy's request of what to do is so vague where he's essentially i'm struggling to get anywhere <laughs> just like, what do i do to do anything on this game what is a game I do spreadsheets. Yeah. Is there an Excel formula for this game? But no, I miss the days of typing cheat codes like that. Yeah. Especially ones that are jokey, like, you know, there's all sorts of various random string codes you can type in and boom, invincible lives. But I ones am that, God. I am God, 10 pints. All those sorts of, those actual words and word plays. I like those. I miss those. Nowadays, cheats are sold as downloadable content. Yeah. Oh, Ash with the slam of the episode. It's not really a slam. <laughs> well, oof, let's get into this final challenge. Head on over to Games Master and find out just what it is. For the last of this week's little escapades, we visit our colonial friends in the Antipodes for an episode of Neighbours. The challenge is to take on and beat all comers in a scooter race around a place called Ramsey Street, avoiding potholes, roving kangaroos, an elderly lady known as Mrs. Mangle, and a, a plump jogger by the name of Howell. So keep your wits about you, and try not to succumb to the banality of the plot. Yep, we're playing Neighbours. Um, you got to take on and beat everyone in a scooter race. Avoid potholes, kangaroos, it's all manner of nonsense. Matt Robinson, Ashley Pask from Neighbours, is doing this. It's another celebrity challenge. And he walks up and says, I don't play video games. I've got a computer thing at home. And that's about it. Yeah, video game thing was his exact wording. Yeah. I mean, that could be anything. Could be absolutely anything. Although Dominic Diamond does ask if he waggles his joystick. And he grabs onto that with both hands. He's like, oh, thank God, something I can do. <laughs> a dick joke. Yes. Yes, I'm a well-known waggler on the set. But HR spoke to me. I want to talk on a future episode about various tie-in licenses. But let's just take a step back and look at the fact that we are about to have a video game challenge based on the TV show Neighbours, that is a racing game. Yeah. Not point and click. Nope. Not adventure. Nope. Not text-based. Nope. Not even puzzle-based, which might have made some modicum of sense. It's a racing game. Yep. And a bad one at that. It's a terrible game, not helped by the fact that the guy playing it clearly doesn't know what he's doing. He works out how to move in straight lines, but anything beyond that is is. Bad. Well, the way the game seems to play is that as soon as you gain any sort of momentum, you go so fast, you then cannot control the character that you are, and you just hit something. And then you have a certain life bar, and then everyone boos you, and the game ends. And for some reason, because they were really desperate for identifiable elements to put in the game, the, uh, I guess, race board down the side when it doesn't have a player in it, has the Grundig television logo. <laughs> I mean, there's some powerful branding to have on there. Yeah. And of course, let's not forget the most identifiable bit of the television show in this game, the sodding theme music. 
Yeah. Which I believe is the only piece of music in this game. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, it has been stuck in my head for the last few weeks. Because I think about this challenge, and I've been thinking about us recording this episode, and as soon as I do, I just get in my head, Neighbours, everybody needs good neighbours, with a little understanding. And I, I don't need it in my life anymore, and I'm pretty sure that actually does not need this in his life at this point. He... He gives up on this so quickly. I, to be honest, he gave up on this before he even sat down from the moment when oh, yeah. Dominic Diamond greeted him saying, we all know about the acting prowess <laughs> of the Neighbours cast, but what about the gaming prowess? And you can just see the light go out in his eyes going, I was said this was, I was told this was a nice little press junket and now I'm being mocked in front of a church full of children. Yeah. Can I go home? And to make matters worse, Dave Perry's over there. Yeah. Not in his final form yet. He's evolving. <laughs> he's still, we'll get to him in a bit. But but yeah, you can see the light go out in his eyes. And at this point, he's like, I'm just going to get through this and get the hell out of here. I've got to think, this is the game animal's choice. Like, he thought this would be hilarious to put on TV. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's cringe. It's car crash television. It's you've been framed video games. Yeah, yeah. This is someone being repeatedly hit in the balls <laughs> by a toddler with a Nerf bat. That's exactly what this is. It's amazing that managed to come up again, really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's he's third in a three-man race right from the get-go and doesn't progress any further from there, picks up speeds, runs into an emu, and you can just hear (laughs) Dave Berry and Dominic Diamond laughing that Neighbours characters are in a video game. Lovely little squad. There's Paul Landers with his car, bouncer, bouncing across. Oh, and Ryan Joe Rogers. Here comes Mrs. Mangle. Oh, the way, Ashley. Oh, no, Ashley's trying to run. Mrs. Mangle, then. Yeah. Swiftly got that. Oh, kangaroo. Tried to do unmentionable things to the kangaroo. They came up with what? But he's in there for more. He's a bit mean, this kangaroo. Not known for his hospitality. Actually, he's actually lying in third place or last, depending on how you look at it. Third place in a three-man race, <laughs> Henry's up in front in his tractor, and Charlene's there somewhere in a gadget. And there's Scott Robinson again with his uh, support. As an emu now. Speaking of Dave Perry, mm-hmm. he's not in his final guise. He's got the leather jacket. He's still sans bandana. Oh, yeah. What's with the leather jacket and the turtleneck combination? It's a high-collared shirt. Mm. It's not a great look. No, but as you say, like he's evolved. He's like in his. We had an early Dave Perry a couple of episodes ago. Now we're into like leather jacket Dave Perry. We are only a couple of Pokemon battles away from him getting that bandana and being full on games animal. Yeah, when when the games animal emerges, <laughs> that's it. He has unleashed his ultimate form and can take down Mewtwo with a withering look <laughs> and some outdated references. And being bad at Mario 64. Oh, man. <laughs> Once we get the release schedule going, we should have somewhere a countdown to the Mario 64 <laughs> episode because that's going to be what's going to keep us warm. <laughs> it's just knowing that we're going to get to Mario Gate. Oh, absolutely. Now, on you, Dave. Um, now, you have, as you said, on the show, you are the greatest games player in Britain. What happened? What went wrong? Well, I think I've been set up fairly badly here today. Right. And in particular, what reason? I think having a final game where one player owns the game in the machine and one player doesn't isn't in the interests of fair play. Uh-huh. Okay, then. So uh, what you're saying, Dave, is the biggest game of this year. You haven't played much. 
It's not released till next year. I'll play right. it next year when it's released in this okay, country. Okay, you are a journalist. We can get it on import. Not a journalist. I'm a marketing manager. Right. Okay, then. And you don't have a book coming out about, you know, games or anything like that? No? About, about BMR. About BMR games. So we're not seeing Sir Grips at all here, Davis, what you're trying to say. No, we're not. We're seeing somebody just saying he's been set up. At one point, Ashley starts going in the wrong direction. The other two characters finish the game. He gets a game over because he keeps hitting stuff. <laughs> he looks nonplussed. That was bad. I mean, in fairness... It made about as much sense as your average neighbor's episode. Yep. His racing ability vaguely reflected to his acting ability. I don't consider it punching down because can you really punch down to wood? <laughs> Ashley, yes. no. It's a little sad, really, wasn't it? People often fail on Games Master, but never in such a spectacular fashion. No, no. no I, I, it's the game. I'm sorry, it's the game. It's the game, it's the joystick, it's the whole thing. So what went wrong with the game? What's wrong? I don't know. It's just very hard. It's really quite hard to make a little skateboard man sort of go in the right direction, you know. All right, you didn't seem to go anywhere. A bit like the, bit like the neighbor's plot line sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, in fairness, actually, does say that was a bit sad, wasn't it? It was. It was a lot sad. Before recording this episode, I almost went and looked up on Wikipedia to see what he was doing nowadays. And I realised that was actually more effort than I wanted to put into <laughs> this particular challenge. We should probably do something before we do. Um, oh, Are you going to look up and I'm find out what he's doing now? I'm just going to do a quick Google search of it now. Very well. We'll, do, we'll play some quick Google searching music. Well, no, according to this, his acting profile says that he was in Neighbours from 1989 to 1991 and then was in a show called All Saint in 2004. Woof. So wait, hang on. He was in Neighbours from 1989 to 1991. Yes. Which, while I know British broadcast of Neighbours was somewhat behind... It's about six months, yeah. He'd already been fired or quit by the time this aired. Oh, yeah. No wonder he didn't want to be there. <laughs> All the other races are finished. You can see them sat just beyond the finish line because that's what racers did in games like that. While he continues to blither around. And then in the post-match interview, you've got Dominic Diamond saying that he didn't seem to go anywhere. Much like the Neighbours plot line. Oh, slam on Neighbours. And just Ashley just looks at the camera with a real help. Yeah. Just this kind of this look in his eyes, like Bouncer, like <laughs> having just found out that he's going to be put down. It was just this real... I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go back to somewhere that's warm and where the sets are wobblier. But in fairness to Ashley, it is a bad game. And he quite rightly says, it's the game's fault that I lost at that. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> yeah. but only because I know how bad that game is. Yeah. But also, he was awful at it anyway. Yeah, in fairness, he was awful. I mean, he didn't even finish. <laughs> if he'd placed third, but finished, I'd have given him more of the benefit of the doubt. But the fact is, he started going the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, he crashed immediately off the start line. He yes. didn't even go forward. He went sideways. Yeah. He did eventually master traveling in a straight line. Yes. I also want to highlight as well that I watched some playthroughs of this on YouTube. And that is the game. It's just that. Again and again and again. There's no variation. Just that. Just that. Man, that was some real shovelware, wasn't it? <laughs> well, that draws proceedings to a close, but never mind. I've got my smoking jacket to keep out the chills and a lovely bit of assam in my mug. So keep your fingers on your fire button and we'll see you next week. Good night. Well, Dominic Diamond has got a nice cup of assam and he tells us to keep our fingers on the fire button. We'll see us in seven days. It was an episode that started off brilliantly. Really, really liked the DuckTales challenge. 
Then I got really annoyed at the Toe Jam and Earl thing. I did enjoy the Jimmy White snooker challenge, but that last challenge felt like a total waste of time. The fact that they had two celebrity challenges in this episode makes me feel like they knew this was going to be bobbins. Yeah. And they were just like, let's just get it out there. We've got the footage. We need to use it. Just go with it. Or, and here's my other theory, they overbooked because they weren't sure they were going to get all 10 of their celebrity challenges. So they booked 11, then found out they were going to get all 10, but they forgot to cancel Ashley's booking. And he's flown all the way in from Australia. And they were like, well, I guess we've got to put him in a final challenge now. Alternative theory, they didn't realize he was a celebrity. <laughs> it's possible. Um, so, yeah, so what are you thinking score-wise? What did you think of the episode? It was a game of two halves, really. It, it really was an episode of two halves. Challenge-wise, I did enjoy the first challenge. I'd be crazy not to. Mm-hmm. Apart from the trick shot, I did enjoy the Jimmy White challenge, not only for the actual game, but for the amazing level of reverence and restraint shown by Dominic Diamond. Oh, I think yeah. that was that was amazing. I imagine there was some outtakes from this episode just after they were done with that challenge where Diamond just stood on stage and threw every double entendre possible at the audience just to get it out of his system. And then we had the awful third challenge. While we both had issues with some of the reviews, that Chaos Engine preview, very that true. did a lot for me. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I know what my percentage is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be 75% based on two challenges and the Chaos Engine. I was actually going to go 70%, which is the same score they gave Toe Jam and Earl, which I still think is the wrong review. We're not that far out. We can agree (laughs) to differ on the five. I think so, indeed. But that's all we've got time for on this episode. Like Dominic Diamond, we will see you in seven days. Yes, I'm going to go and squeeze a bit of my Assam into a mug. (laughs) Good night. Now for that information about the Under Consultation Club. You can follow us on Twitter at UnderConsultPod, and you can send your thoughts on each episode to feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also follow your hosts on Twitter at ThisIsLukeOwen and at AshVersus. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a subscribe and a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.